It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. With patience in using her God-given talents, Audra Rasnick has created amazing quilts. Her first show quilt came home with 16 ribbons. Many of them were blue. A couple of them were for best hand quilting. And it was her first of three AQS ribbons she has received over the years. Audra has a passion to share needle turn applique in hand quilting as she wants this incredible art form to have a revival. Thank you so much to Sheila Drevna for letting Audra know to contact me. Audra, thank you so much for coming and sharing with me on A Quilter's Life. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is the first time I have ever done a phone interview. I have been interviewed once or twice for the local newspaper, but I was just thrilled that I was able to schedule an appointment with you. I was thrilled to see that you had scheduled an interview with me, so I am so excited that you are here. Share with me how you found out about A Quilter's Life. I heard that you heard about me twice in the same week. I did, but I could only remember one name. It seems like I saw something on Facebook, and then it wasn't long after that that Sheila Drevna sent me a message, and she said, I was just interviewed by Paula with A Quilter's Life, and she said, you need to do this yourself. And Sheila and I just recently got in touch with each other because she contacted me wanting to know some of the ways that I price my classes that I teach and was asking some questions about my Etsy shop. And we've actually been trying to help each other out. She's looking for more opportunities for teaching. I'm looking for more opportunities for teaching. And so we've been passing information back and forth to each other. But she is the one that recommended you to me. Sheila's a wonderful person. It was so fun to get to visit with her. Share about where you were born and raised. I was born in Hampton, Virginia. That's where my mother grew up and all of her family lived there in the Hampton Roads area. I was barely five years old when they decided that they wanted to move to my daddy's home. And I know that I have a subtle accent. I'm sure you've heard it. <laughs> we moved to the little tip of Virginia that is right in the middle of West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And so the accent you're hearing is Northeast Tennessee, and it's just because I've lived here since I was about five years old. I would not change where I live for anything. We live right in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains, and it's beautiful. We've got nice weather conditions year-round, a good mix of everything. And where I'm right in the middle of so many states, I can be in several different states within a short amount of time. Yeah, it's a little town called Meadowview, Virginia. Very, very small town. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> that is such a beautiful area of our country. I love the mountains. Well, let me tell you, when I went to Des Moines, I was there two weeks ago for the AQS show, and I have never traveled west of Knoxville before. This was my first long trip, getting in the car and going to travel. And I got some of the people that I talked to up there so tickled because I said I could not understand the concept of seeing the sky from horizon 
to horizon in all different directions. And for me, it was a little unsettling. I said, where I live, it's nice to feel like you're nestled, you're cozy, and you're surrounded by your mountains. I told somebody I felt like I was going to fly off the face of the earth because there was nothing around me. (laughs) (laughs) I had a friend from California tell me she could not stand coming out here and being in our tree tunnels. That's a good description, yes. Tell about a special childhood memory you had. Well, I've got several. My favorite memories are with my nanny. Now, that was my mom's mother, and she lived there in Hampton, Virginia. And all of my favorite memories are of her. I would go and stay the night with her on Saturday nights. It wasn't every Saturday night, but it was very, very frequent. And we had our routine when I was with her. And you have to remember, I was less than five years old when this happened. But she would always make homemade spaghetti. And I had to sit on a stack of newspapers in her dining room chair. And we would get done with dinner. And then we would go take a bubble bath. And I just loved taking the bubble bath. And when I would get out, she had this great big powder puff. And she would just powder me from head to toe with this good smell and powder, and then she put me in one of her nightgowns, which, of course, was twice as long. And then we would go climb on the couch, and we would watch Lawrence Wilk. And I would fall asleep, usually with my head in her lap while we were watching TV, but those are some of my favorite memories of my nanny. But if you're looking for something quilt-related, that would probably be the summer between my third grade year and my fourth grade year. And that was the summer that my mom brought a sewing machine up to my bedroom, and she helped me cut out squares. And, of course, they were just probably three to four-inch squares. And I spent that entire summer, when I had some free time, going in there, and I pieced my first quilt top. So I was only nine or ten years old, but, oh, my goodness, I had so much fun doing that. That's one of my favorite memories of childhood. And back then, we didn't have the templates like we do now. So were you using cardboard? No, but I do remember my mother did make a template for me, but it was out of, do you remember when you used to buy packs of bacon and it had that hard plastic behind the bacon? (laughs) My mom used to take those out of the packages and she would wash them and get them all clean and that plastic made good templates. So I did have a template. Wow, she was progressive. Yeah, well, she used that. She was one of the first ones. And I think I was actually tracing around my template at that time. She used bar soap. She would save slivers of white soap, and that's what we would mark on the fabric with. My mind's racing to, okay, I understand how that shows up on the dark fabric. What about on the lighter fabrics? Probably a pencil, I would imagine. Yeah. We didn't have the wide variety of the water solubles that we have now. (laughs) Well, over the years, besides quilting related, have you had other employment? Yeah, I was a nurse. Well, I should back up before that. I have always been geared towards arts and crafts. Ever since I was a child, I loved to draw, paint. My mom would take me to all kinds of classes. We had an art museum in Abingdon, Virginia, called the William King Museum of Fine Arts. But they taught a lot of classes up there. They did sculpture. They did painting. They did watercolor. 
weaving. So I took a lot of classes, even as a young child. And I'm glad that my mom did that for me. But by the time I graduated high school, I actually went to Radford University as an art major for a year. And that was my plan when I started out was I wanted to do something in the field of art. But when I got there, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. People have asked me why. And I think the reason is because by the time you are 18 or 19 years old, and if you've been drawing or painting or been doing anything for years, you've kind of developed your own style of how you do things. And when I got into these art classes there at Radford, I felt like they were trying to turn us all into clones. It's like they kind of broke us down and wanted to start us all back over on drawing triangles and circles and squares and learning to shadow the way they wanted us to. And I don't know how else to describe it, except that I just felt like I was a clone. I just did not like it. So I came home after one year and decided I did not want to go back to school. I didn't want to go back and be an art major. And then I made the first worst mistake you could have made, but I will never regret it because I'm madly in love with my husband. But (laughs) I fell in love and I got married before I got my education completed. So we got married and we figured out very quickly, well, you're going to have to support yourself. So (laughs) I went to school to be a nurse. I enjoyed nursing. I did nursing for 12 years. But during that time, I was already spending a lot of my free time quilting and That was what I did in all of my free time. But I ended up leaving nursing. My husband lost his job, so he took a job over the road as a truck driver, and he's been doing that for 17 years now. I, unfortunately, got sick with ulcerative colitis, and it's a chronic condition. And for 10 years, I really struggled with it. I've got it in remission now. But Where he went out on the road, I became a stay-at-home mom, and that was when the door really, really opened for me to begin pursuing quilting as a moneymaker. So it was almost a curse and a blessing at the same time. I mean, I had a chronic disease that I was going to have to deal with, but I started to have opportunities to be able to quilt and make a living at it. So that was how I ended up beginning doing quilting full-time. So you met your husband at school, but was he from the same area you were from? Because don't you live where you were raised? Well, I did not meet him at school. I actually met him at a job that I was working at locally. So yeah, he lived in Abingdon, which is just about 10 miles from where I live. And his best friend's father owned the restaurant that I was working in. And so when I was working there, He came in, and that's how we met. Okay. So you live just around the corner from where you were raised? Yeah, I can get to my parents' house in seven or eight minutes, yes. I'm right here, spent my childhood just seven or eight miles from where I'm living now. Audra, is there anything else about your family that you wanted to share? Well, I needed to throw in that I am a fourth-generation quilter. That might be important. (laughs) My great-grandmother was a phenomenal quilter, and if you could see my quilts and compare them to her quilts, you would know where my DNA comes from, because I'm actually finishing three of her tops right now, but the first one that I'm working on right now measures probably about 72 by 72. You know, it's not huge. 
I have thrown on a big wide border and I'm throwing a big floral applique around it. And these quilts will go to my sons, but at least they'll get to say, hey, my great-great-grandmother and my mother finished these two tops. But what is so spectacular about the one that I'm talking about is in that 72 by 72 inch space, there are over 4,500 diamonds, (laughs) just really tiny, tiny little pieces. And if you could see one of my sew quilts, it's got 1,400 one-inch leaves on it. I mean, when you look at the ambition that she had back during her day with cutting out all those pieces and getting them thrown together, I just say that she and I were just kind of made the same as far as what kind of quilts we would like to do, I think. Yeah, when people see pictures of your quilts, Audra, they are going to be amazed because they're beautiful. But to see that kind of work that you know was your great-grandmother's work and that she didn't have the tools that you have, that just has to be amazing. My great-grandmother died, I think I was only six or seven years old, and I only have a few memories of her, but I love her so much. I learned who she was through stories that my nanny and my mama would tell me. And I'm just telling you, this woman was just precious. But I sometimes snicker just having to think to myself, if she could be here in my quilt room and see that I've got rotary cutters, I've got water erasable markers, I've got these big, long rulers, I've got cutting mats. I can't imagine what she would think about how much faster I'm able to get things done than she did. I had the opportunity to practice my interviewing skills with a relative. In interviewing her, she mentioned that they would piece a quilt one winter and the next winter they would quilt it. So it took so much time. Yeah, and well, and two of my grandmothers that I've got now were unfinished. And I had to go back in and fill in some segments around the outside border. And so I had to go looking back through my fabric, trying to find things that would look like they would blend with the type of fabrics that she was using at the time. I did get to finish one of them that way. And I'm assuming those quilts would have been hand-pieced. Yes. And another thing, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but oh gosh, when I sit there and I'm working on her quilt, because I've never got to talk to her about any of this, of course, but You know, you'll look at a certain piece of fabric and you're thinking, where did they get it? Was this clothing? Was this a dress she had? Was this part of her children's clothing? Did she have friends that gave her boxes of scraps of fabric? And what was she doing? It just fascinates me to think, was she sitting out on the porch piecing these pieces? Was she sitting with other friends? Did they get together and do this together? You know, things like that that I wish that I knew. Yeah. Now, if you had the chance to talk to your great-great-grandchildren, what would you hope that they would know about you, or what would you want to tell them? Well, first of all, I guess the biggest thing, of course, would be hoping that they would know that I'm a quilter, and they will know that. All of my quilts will be going to my sons, and hopefully they're going to get passed down to my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. But I guess the biggest thing is I want them to know that I love them already. (laughs) I know that sounds crazy. I had grandmothers that loved me so much, and they meant so much to me that that is 
probably the most important thing. I guess I would hope that my sons and my grandchildren would talk about me the way my mother and grandmother talked about my great-grandmother, that they know that I was a loving person and that they look back over the things that I made with my hands. I hope they'd ask the same questions I was asking about my grandmother, about her quilt. What was she doing? Was she sitting with friends? Did somebody give her this? What did this fabric mean to her? What was she doing when she was making these quilts? Because for your podcast and you saying that every quilt has a story, they do. Every one of my quilts has a book that goes with it. And in that book, I'm jotting down every ounce of time that I'm spending on the quilt, but I'm jotting down little random things that are going on in my life at the time. Some of them are happy. Some of them are sad. The quilt that I sent you the picture of, the big stained glass piece, people always say, oh, that's such a happy, vibrant quilt. The truth is I was bawling my eyes out making that quilt because my first son had left for boot camp. I'm the mother of two Marines, by the way. So that quilt was telling a story. That was a grieving quilt for me. It was almost something to keep me occupied while my son was in boot camp. And then there's other quilts that I was making when my first granddaughter was born. And they tell the story of that. And I've got all these things written down in these books. My second show quilt, I lost my nanny and went through months and months. If you flip through that book and reading all the little notes that I was jotting down, I mean, you can go back and look and see that I was struggling so hard with it. So every quilt does have a story. But those are things, too, that I hope my grandchildren, I hope they'll have those books to be able to look back and see what their great-grandmother was doing at the time. What a neat way to record your story in along with the quilts that you were working on at the time. That's amazing. Well, you know why I started doing that? Actually, it wasn't because I wanted to start doing that, but when I went and had my first quilt appraised, I had never met with an appraiser before. And so I had called an appraiser and needed to get my first sew quilt appraised. And she says, well, bring it on up. And she lays it out on a table. And then she starts asking me all these questions that I never considered. She said, well, how many spools of thread did you use? And how long did it take you to applique this part? And how long did it take you to quilt this section? And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know. I didn't keep track of any of this. So (laughs) the reason I actually keep those books now is for appraisal purposes. But while I'm at it, I'm just jotting down other things that are floating through my head and things that are going on in my life at the time. But the reason that I started this because it helps my appraiser. We total up the hours that are in my quilts and she can see all of the original designs and it kind of adds to the provenance of the quilt sometimes. And so that's the reason those books came about. Obviously, you would have never thought to stop and do that, but what a great result. My sons call them the diary of a mad woman. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good book series to me. I've got eight of them up here because, of course, I've got six sew quilts that I've gotten completed. The first one didn't have a book, but then I'm working on some others from time to time. So my bookshelf's getting full. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to picture what they look like. So do you get them bound afterwards or do you just have them like in notebooks? I buy binders. I think they're the one-inch binders and I just put loose leaf, regular paper in there. I do that because I do have to keep track of the hours. But then in addition, I'll put a 
pocket folder in the back, and it has all of the original pattern pieces that go with it so that everything is included right there in that binder. Wow. So it literally it's the whole history of the quilt, I guess. <laughs> well, you mentioned when you were a child taking those classes with other crafts and hobbies. Are there other crafts or hobbies that you do now? No, it's primarily quilting. It's not that I didn't enjoy learning other techniques. And I'm still trying to learn some new techniques here and there, but quilting is just my favorite. I did like the weaving class. Now, that was a lot of fun. I used to paint. I did used to dabble in watercolor a lot. But once I got on the quilting kick, it just never let go. By the time I was in my early 20s, I just knew quilting was what I wanted to do. Talking about new techniques, I have recently learned how to do bouti. Have you ever heard of bouti? No. Oh, it's beautiful. You need to look it up. You can look it up on Pinterest. It's spelled B-O-U-T-I-S, and it's a French form of trapunto. I actually tell people it looks like trapunto on steroids, but it's a method where you take two pieces of fabric and you go ahead and draw the design out, whatever design you're going to do, and you quilt it first without any batting in it. You're just quilting two pieces of fabric together and then you go back and stuff it. But what makes Bouti look so interesting is that there are flat places, intentional, very flat places that are left. And so the parts that are stuffed are just really accentuated. And so I've recently learned to do that, and I have added it to my teaching resume and hoping that maybe some guilds or some possible quilting events may be looking for someone to teach that method coming up soon. That sounds so different. It is. It is addictive. I found out very quickly that it's just fun. And once I learned how to do it, it's like, oh, I'd really like to do more of this, but it's hard for me to find the time with trying to get my other things done. But it's just a lot of fun. It's different. That would be quite a pivot for you from the work you've been doing. It would. My husband asked me one time because I started a big piece. I actually designed a big wall hanging type design. And I started it over a year ago, still don't have it done. But he says, well, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, you know me, if I'm going to spend all this time on it, I'll probably see if I can enter it somewhere into one of the shows. But I guess it would probably have to fall into the special techniques category, something like whole cloth or the yo-yo quilts. I don't necessarily know that you could call it hand quilting. I'd have to check and see where it would even fall. Do you have any other hobbies like gardening or? I have to laugh at the gardening. Now, I will tell you, I am not an outdoor girl, Paula. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the house most of the time. I don't like camping. I'm just an indoor girl. So gardening, no. My husband, that's his department. And yes, he loves to do that. I love to read. I'm quite a bookworm. In fact, I read just about every night. The house here shuts down usually about 9 to 9.30, and I go on to bed, but I'm usually up reading for at least 30 minutes. I love to read, and I also love to cook, and my favorite thing to cook is soup. My husband calls me the soup Nazi from Seinfeld, if you've ever seen that episode, especially during the cold weather months. I start cooking soup, and we usually have soup just about every weekend, all winter long. Yeah, we're heading into that season now, aren't we? 
Yes, I made a big pot of gumbo last weekend, and this weekend we're probably looking at some cream of broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Couple of my favorites. The next question is, do your hobbies show up in your quilting? I'm trying to figure out how soup can show up in quilting. Well, I saw that question on here. I actually do embroidery, but I have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with embroidery. If you go look at each of my quilts, there's embroidery somewhere, and it adds so much to a quilt that it is probably my least favorite thing to do. The thread gets knotted a lot, and like I said, it's a love-hate thing. It goes on just about every quilt because it does add such a beautiful touch to anything. But if I had my choice of doing it or not, I would probably say, no, I don't ever want to do that again. (laughs) That's interesting because I'm thinking we all have a choice. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I use a lot of thread heaven, kind of conditions your thread and keeps it from knotting. But for some reason, when I'm doing embroidery, my biggest hang up is my thread gets knotted a lot. But obviously you love the outcome. I do, yes. Here's another tidbit for you. I just got done buying a book, and this will eventually, I've already got a a show quilt planned that I've wanted to do for a long time, and it's based on a puzzle. Here's another hobby for you. My husband and I love, well, I love, he gets voluntold, I guess (laughs) is what you would call it, but when he's home over the holidays, we usually put a puzzle together on the kitchen table, and I did one a couple of years ago, and it looks like an orange peel pattern. I loved it so much that he and my father and my oldest son actually made a table for me out of this puzzle. What they did was we took Gorilla Tape. I know that sounds crazy, but the the big black Gorilla Tape, and we taped the back of the entire puzzle once it was done so that it would hold it all together. It ended up being, I think, about two feet by two feet, maybe a little bit more than that. But They made me a table and specifically ordered a piece of glass to go over it. And it's my favorite quilting table that I actually use in my quilt room now. When I'm sitting here and I'm working, this is where I keep all my supplies. But I have plans to do a quilt based on this puzzle. And one of the things that I want to do to it is I want to run crazy stitches like they used to use on the crazy quilts, those beautiful stitches that ran along the seam lines. And I'm wanting to throw it into this quilt. And so I have already bought all of the embroidery floss. I've already drafted out my little six-cents block that I'm going to be using. And I am going to be using, for the first time, all solid fabrics. I've never done a quilt in all solids. That's going to be my next project. But I bought a book that has got, I think it's like over 300 designs of those beautiful stitches that they used to run along between the crazy quilt pieces. So that's on my future to-do list. Well, everything you've done is so beautiful that this has to be amazing also, but I can't imagine over 300 of those stitches. I had no clue there were so many. Yeah, and the thing is, she's actually got something in the book where you can create a template of each of the designs and you can go back in and put little dots They're pre-measured out, and that way you're not guessing. It just ends up your stitches, if you follow the dots along these templates, it'll keep everything even and straight. And I thought, why didn't somebody think of that years ago? 
It's a book by Kathy Seaman Saul, S-H-A-W. Yeah, and it's actually 480 embroidered theme designs. And it is just one of the best books I think I've ever purchased. But unfortunately, I haven't gotten to use it yet. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the name of the book? The name is called Stunning Stitches for Crazy Quilts by Kathy Seaman Shaw. But if anybody listening wants a good book with a lot of patterns and something that will help you keep them even, that would be the book to go get. Oh, cool. Thank you for sharing that. I think you already answered. Who introduced you to quilting, or how did you begin to quilt? Oh, well, yeah, that would have been my grandmother, but more it was my mom. And she can tell you, quilting was just always done in my house. I have told guilds when I go to speak that a quilt frame was up so frequently in my house, (laughs) Paula, that I can remember the first time I went to go stay the night with a little friend from school. And we went into her house, and I was looking around thinking, where's their quilt frame? I had no idea that people didn't do this. But my mom, she can tell you, I just watched everything that she did, and I did not have to ask many questions. I was soaking it up like a sponge for so many years. An interesting story that I can tell you on that is my mom used to go on a local TV station here. It's on the PBS station, but it would feature a local artisan or somebody in the the craft business. And my mom got asked to go on this Saturday morning segment. I think it was only maybe a half an hour to 45 minutes long. And she would go on there and she would do a quick little demo and a short class on a technique. And she was on there one Saturday morning and she was demonstrating how to do grandmother's flower garden. and. She got home after she had gone and taught this class, and I had been at home watching her do this. And I think I was only about seven years old at the time. And by the time she got home, I had a grandmother's flower garden unit put together. And I can remember the look on my mom's face as she said, how did you just watch this and know how to do it? But there again, like I said, it's just a God-given gift, and it's in my DNA. I don't have any other explanation for it, but I didn't have to take many classes. It just always came so naturally to me. But my mom is where I picked up most of that just from watching her throughout my childhood. I'm trying to picture the shock on her face seeing you do that. So she was there to teach others and had no clue she was teaching her own daughter. No, she had no clue that I had even turned it on. I knew she was going. I remember that Saturday morning when she went, but she had no idea I was going to sit there and just work right along with her. (laughs) (laughs) That had to be so much fun for her to put that all together and realize what you had done. Do you have a favorite quilt? Well, of course, my great-grandmother's quilts are considered favorites because, like I said, I didn't know her that well, but I love her so much. Those are my favorites. But my first sew quilt was really, really special to me. I had been quilting for years, obviously. The more you're talking to me, you know that I grew up quilting and doing piecing and all kinds of things. But as I got older, I started putting things into the local craft shop, and you had to be juried in to do it. And during that time, people kept saying that my skill level was just way above what they pictured for somebody my age. I was much younger than a lot of the quilters around me, but when I would enter local shows, I was taking blue ribbons everywhere I went. 
And so eventually I decided to stop doing commission because I used to sell things on commission through the local arts and crafts co-op. So anyway, in 2012, that was when I decided to take my first step into doing a sew quilt. And I can remember going to my husband and telling him I have people on a waiting list wanting me to quilt things for them or they wanted me to do a wall hanging. And I'm trying to tell him that I want to take a gamble at this and see if I can earn more money off of this sew quilt earning award money. And so in 2012, I started my first sew quilt and it got on the road. And when I first sent it to the first show, I was just thinking, oh, it might take an honorable mention, maybe a third place here or there, you know. It ended up, Paula, it went to 18 shows and brought home 16 ribbons. And so I just felt like it was God telling me, yeah, you can do this and don't stop now. So I guess my first show quilt is probably my favorite just because I always tell people about that quilt. God gave me my gift, but that first quilt gave me my wings. It was what gave me the confidence and told me, keep going in the direction you're going. So that first show quilt is probably my favorite. Now, had you entered quilts in smaller shows before that? I did, yes. We used to have a quilt show a little farther north from us in Whitfield, Virginia, and it was called the Chautauqua Quilt Festival. And I entered it three years in a row and took blue ribbons, and then they had a quilt show down in Bristol, Virginia. I entered it and took blue ribbons down there and It was a shock to me. I don't guess I realized, but like I said, everybody kept telling me, you need to start pursuing some bigger shows. You need to pursue entering AQS and doing some of these bigger shows just to see how you do. So, yeah, I had entered a few local shows and had done very well. That's so nice that those that knew about the shows encouraged you to pursue going to the bigger ones. Well, my mom's best friend, of course, she passed away several years ago, but her name was Phyllis Street, and she was a phenomenal quilter. She was way above the level of most people in my area, and she had quilts that she had entered into AQS that did well, and she had a couple of quilts that were actually featured in the AQS calendars. She was probably my biggest motivation. She was the one who was really telling me, you need to go do this. So she had some experience in it and kind of guided me as to how to do that the first time. Do you have a favorite tool now? I don't know about tool. I remember when I read that question, I have a favorite quilting hoop. It's a story in itself if you want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Years ago, I got asked to do some hand quilting demonstration at the local arts and crafts co-op. And they would do this during the summer at the Virginia Highlands Festival that's held in Abingdon every year. And we would just set up and we would just sit there and hand quilt. And people who wanted to come by could ask us questions and see how the method was done. And it was just always a lot of fun because you're there with other quilters and you're doing what you love to do. And it's a beautiful summer day. But anyway, I got down there one year and I walked in and there was a woman named Suzanne Bullard that belonged to the Arts and Crafts Guild there. She sold quilts there through the co-op. And she had a frame. 
And the minute I walked through the door, I thought, where did you get this? It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It's an antique Norwood frame, and it sits on a pedestal, and it's about, I think it might be over two feet in diameter, the actual hoop part. And it sits on a ball joint swivel. So you can turn it like a steering wheel and you can tilt it any way you want it to go so that you're not having the hand quilt uphill. And my mouth was watering. And I said, where did you get this frame? And she says, well, she said, a friend of mine had a mother that passed away and we found this in her house. And I said, would you ever be willing to sell it? And she said, no. She knew as well as I did that this was something really special. She said, no, I could not part with this. So we went on and did our day. Well, I want you to fast forward now, probably eight to 10 years later. And I come in the door and I've been out doing probably grocery shopping or something. And I look on my phone and I see that somebody from Arkansas has tried calling me that morning probably five or six times. Well, you know, when you see a number on the phone like that, you know, it's something really important if they've called back over and over again. So I called the number back. And all she did was she picked up the phone and she said, Audra, this is Suzanne Bullard. And I knew right then and there what she was calling me about. Bless her heart. Her eyesight was failing and she was no longer able to do the hand quilting. And she said, I know how much you wanted this frame. She said, I'm going to give it to you. And I could have cried. I just had a lump in my throat. I said, no, let me buy it. I said, I'll pay you. She said, no. She said, I want you instead. I want you to donate whatever you feel this frame is worth. She said, I'd like for you just to donate that to the local women's shelter there where she was living in Arkansas. So she gave me the name and the address of the facility down there, and I made a donation. Anyway, that quilt frame is mine now, and I sit and wonder sometimes, oh, if the, the little lady who originally owned that frame knew how it got passed along from one culture to another, and that, you know, hopefully I'm going to have a granddaughter maybe one of these days who it will eventually belong to. I just think it's a neat story of just this precious, it's almost like a piece of furniture, you know. I use it that much. It's a functional piece in my house, and just the story of how it's been loved and cherished and passed from one to another. Amazing. And it is my favorite frame. I can turn it in all different directions. It's Yeah, I love it. When you said she wouldn't sell it, I started thinking, oh, you had one made somewhere. (laughs) Well, I talked to my daddy about that. My daddy's actually a woodworker, and he actually came over here and took pictures of it. He was considering, I think, maybe pursuing it because he said, do you think other quilters would buy this? I said, yes. (laughs) Yes, believe me, I think they would. But my daddy's eyesight has been failing, too. So that was an idea that just kind of came and went. But, yeah, if somebody ever started reproducing these, I do think that they could probably make a killing off of it. Okay, there's an opportunity for someone. Contact Audra. (laughs) (laughs) I will send you pictures. (laughs) With all the steps of quilting, do you like each one along the way or... Do you look forward to a certain step? I love all of it. Well, I love everything except basting. I detest basting with passion, (laughs) but it's such a necessary step. I'm a one quilt at a time girl. 
which is really unusual. Most quilters that you know say, oh, I've got 20 UFOs going on in my quilt room at one time. And I don't. If I didn't tackle one quilt at a time, I'd never get them done. Yeah, by the time I get done with the construction part, you know, I'm looking forward to any of the applique. And then after that, I'm looking forward to doing the hand quilting. Yeah, I enjoy every step of the process except the basting. That's the one thing that if I could hire somebody to do it, I probably would. (laughs) Again, I'm going to encourage people to take a look at your quilts because... I think we'll understand better why you can only do one quilt at a time. With so many pieces and so much detail in your quilts, I think you would get lost if you did more than one at a time. Well, yeah, I've told people, I think you have to have a certain personality type to do what I do. And I tell people, I'm the kind of person that likes getting lost in a long, juicy novel for a long time. And if you're not like that, you probably would not be cut out to do what I do. (laughs) You know, most of my quilts take an average of 18 months from start to finish. And that's fine with me. I love focusing on that one thing for that long. It doesn't bother me a bit. That's so interesting. My mother is the exact opposite. Now, she likes doing something small and getting it finished and having a feeling of accomplishment. On a daily basis. (laughs) I'm the kind that likes doing something really big and then feeling very accomplished after many, many months. By the way, is your mother still living? Yes, both my parents are still living. My mother still does a lot of machine piecing. My mom, she still sells a lot of things through the arts and crafts places locally. And the thing that she sells the most of is she makes these little mug mats. They have mountain scenes on them, and it is hard to even estimate over the years how many hundreds, possibly even thousands of these things that she has sold. But that's her thing. She loves just making these little mug mats. She'll do baby bibs. She does little keychains, and that was actually my brainchild. They're little zippered bags that attach to your car keys, and I told her, Several years ago, I said, Mom, if you started making these, I said, I think people would just buy them up as fast as you make them because I'm part of a younger generation of women that hates carrying a purse. I cannot stand carrying a purse. So I told her, I said, if you make some little log cabin styled zippered keychains, I said, I think they would be a tremendous thing for you to start selling. And she'll tell you herself, yeah, those go very quick for her. But yeah, she's still living. She comes over here. She's my biggest cheerleader. And she teases people and tells people that instead of carrying around pictures of her children and grandchildren, she's got a wallet full of pictures of my quilt. (laughs) (laughs) Tell about your worst quilting experience. Well, I've actually had it happen to me more than one time. And I'm not the only quilter that has dealt with this. Bleeding. Where I am a show quilter, my quilts have to undergo some processes that other quilts don't have to undergo. I have to block my quilts. Are you familiar with blocking? I'm sure you are if you quilt any. Audra, could you go ahead and describe what blocking a quilt is? Blocking is the process of squaring up your quilt. In order to perfectly square it up, you have to get it wet. It doesn't have to be dripping wet, but it's got to be saturated fairly well. 
and you use two styrofoam boards. You can get them at Lowe's, Home Depot, any place that deals with things with building a house. But I think they're actually the styrofoam boards that go behind vinyl siding. And they come in sizes of eight feet long by four feet across. So you're going to have to buy two of them because most quilts, of course, are going to be bigger than four feet across. And you have to use a laser level and draw. I, I just went ahead when I did mine. I did a, several squares at one time. So I've got really big squares drawn on the outside of these boards, and then they progressively get smaller. And, of course, when I get ready to block a quilt, I have to lay those two boards out on the floor and line those squares up because they're drawn on two different pieces. And then once your quilt is wet, you lay it down on those pieces of styrofoam boarding, and you're actually going to stretch it a little bit. Now, I don't recommend stretching it much further than an inch or two, but even I can tell you some of my quilts have been so far off. that you might get to one corner where you are really having to pull to get it stretched out. But you pull it to the next line after you lay that quilt on there. You you look for the next line that's closest to it. And then you pull it and you pin it all the way around while it's wet. And you have to pin very closely because if you don't and you're stretching it, you're going to end up with a kind of a swag going on between pin to pin. So I usually pin mine probably only about an inch apart all the way around that quilt. And once you get it squared up, you crank up some fans and you just let it air dry. Mine usually take about 24 hours. Some people who live in southern regions, on down towards South Carolina, Louisiana, Florida, if you're in a place that's got high humidity, I have heard other women say that it can take much longer for a quilt to dry. But what happens is when it air dries, it will permanently keep that shape. And so it squares everything up nice and neat, and it just gives a beautiful polished look to the front of the quilt. It'll even pull out little puckers between your quilt lines. It makes the quilt look very polished by the time you get it done. And it's a massive undertaking. I always say I start my day with Tylenol and ibuprofen and a strong cup of coffee. (laughs) And you're on your hands and knees crawling around on your floor space to stretch all this stuff out and pin it. But it really does a world of difference. I have told people before, my motto is that blocking covers a multitude of quilting sins. (laughs) Interesting. Thank you so much for going into detail on that. Yeah. And you can find if anybody wants, there's probably videos out there on YouTube. If somebody wants to look it up, I'm sure somebody on there has done something on blocking. Yes, my worst quilting experience came about because of blocking. More and more quilters anymore are running into problems at the fabric bleeding. Now, I'm a pre-washer ever since I've been quilting. I always pre-wash, pre-shrink. I wash it in super hot water, run it through the dryer. I like to make sure that all of my fabrics have shrunk all they're going to. And I also like to feel the fabric better after it's washed. But years ago, It seemed to me, at least, you used to be able to throw fabrics in the washing machine and you were pretty certain that all the dye had come out. But more and more lately, we're finding that quilts are continuing to bleed. So I had a quilt, I think it was my fourth show quilt, and it's all green and white and it's the one that's got the 1,400 one-inch leaves all over it. And I had pre-washed everything and 
sprayed it down, had it completely saturated front to back, and I had gone through the whole process of laying it out on the boards and pinning all the way around. And I came back in maybe an hour later just to check the process. Sometimes I just sort of step back in and see how it's looking. And I could have cried. In fact, I probably did. I looked down and you could see green bleeding out into all this white fabric. You know, I mentioned earlier, my quilts take 18 months to get done. And I'm literally sitting here thinking, I'm watching 18 months of work literally just start fading into all of my fabric. And I thought, what am I going to do? And thank goodness, I keep in touch with Margaret Solomon Gunn online, and she has gone through this. In fact, I'm finding out more and more, a lot of quilters are running into this. Well, she talked me through how to put this quilt in the bathtub, and it's a method where you put it in super hot water, and it's scary. I've had to do this on several quilts now, and every time you do... From the start of the process of trying to get that dye out until you get it done, you're just in a panic. You just don't know if it's going to get the bleeding part out. You don't know if the fabric that is bleeding is going to end up turning, in this case, turning my white fabric a light green instead of white. But you put the the quilt in a bathtub and you fill the bathtub up with the hottest water you can get. And what happens is the hot water is the trick to releasing dye. And the reason that you use Dawn is the Dawn dishwashing liquid acts as a surfactant. And what that means is even though you're seeing light green tint in your water, it will prevent that light green from re-adhering to the white fabric or lighter fabrics that may be in the quilt. But anyway, you have to let it soak. You have to weight it down and let it soak until the water comes back to room temperature. And then you rinse it out and you can look at it and you can see, did it get everything out? And if it did, then you can start the blocking process all over again. But that by far is one of the worst quilting experiences I have had. And I've had it happen on more than one quilt now. If anybody has that happen, you can also look that up online. There are several people who have posted advice. They call it the Dawn Method of getting excess dye out of your quilt. And so far, it has worked 100% for me. So. There is hope out there if that happens. (laughs) What a shock to walk in Mm. and see that going on. But you mentioned the hot water. You wait till that gets to room temperature and you let that out. But do you rinse it after that? Well, I think actually, you know what, Paula? I think I do re-rinse it in hot water. I don't believe I was told to re-rinse it in hot water, but my reason for doing that is if there's any more dye left in there, if I do it again with the super hot water, it's only going to further continue to get it out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I rinse it again. The hardest part when you have to do this is then trying to get all the excess water out of this quilt. And I've told people, if you've ever seen the episode of I Love Lucy, where Lucy and Ethel were stomping on the grapes, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I look like in my bathtub. You know, I'm in there barefoot making sure my feet are clean, but you literally have to roll it up and just keep stomping from one end to the other to get all the excess water out of it. And then I have to lay it on clean blankets in the floor of my bathroom and then roll that up. And then you're stomping on that to squeeze excess water. (laughs) (laughs) I must look ridiculous when I'm having to do this, but this is what you have to do. Why do you think you keep making quilts when you could do anything else in the world? 
because I love it so much. I have told people I would have to live to be 10,000 years old to do every quilt that I want to do. I have got literally folders and folders full of ideas of things that I want to do. I don't know. It's just something in me. As soon as I get a quilt done, I'm already so excited to get the next one started. It's just something I have to do. I can't explain it. I just have to do it. It's just part of who I am. And I imagine with the detail of your quilts that you have not made two of the same. No, and I'm glad you brought that up. Somebody asked me that recently. They said, well, you've got the patterns for your quilts. Would you ever remake one? And my answer is no. (laughs) I hope that I never make the same quilt twice. And I'll tell you this, too. I try to incorporate a new skill into every quilt that I do. I'm constantly trying to learn something new. It's like when I got my first show quilt done, I had never done ruching. And there are 63 ruched flowers on the front of that quilt. So that was something new that I tried on that one. With one of my recent show quilts, I tried doing prairie points for the first time. So I got that accomplished. With another quilt, I tried doing piped binding. However, (laughs) you're going to laugh when I tell you this. I am scared to death to try to run that piped binding around the outside of my quilt. So I made piped binding, and believe it or not, I tucked it in under some applique areas. And so I was using that piped binding in a way that it was never meant to be used, but I did it. But I try with every quilt to do something that I've never done before. And that can be a gamble, by the way. If you're good at it, and you pull that technique off and it looks good, you know, good for you. But if you if you try something new and you stink at it, that could hurt me in the show quilting world. But so far, I take my time and do everything carefully and it's worked out for me. And I was going to add that that's probably adds to your doing so well in these shows is that you are trying these new things. Yeah, well, even the boutique, you know, I told you I had always wanted to learn boutique. And there again, I was self-taught on it. I bought a book and I watched a couple of videos online. (laughs) The videos that are available on YouTube are either spoken in French or Japanese. And so there again, I'm just having to pick up what she's doing and be able to follow what I'm seeing without understanding what she's saying. Yeah, that was another technique that I wanted to pick up. I've also seen some videos recently on a technique called Hardanger. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it, but I can't picture it right now. Well, it's probably something in the future that I would like to learn. I've seen some videos on it. But yeah, if I see something, if I see a technique or something, and I think, wow, I'd really like to throw that into a quilt somewhere, there's a good chance I'll probably learn to do it and throw it in something that I'm going to do in the future. Have fun. Who do you make your quilts for? Mostly for me <laughs> right now, because like I said, it's, it's just a part of my life. It's what brings me so much joy. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I used to make quilts and sell them on commission. And once I started doing the show quilts, all of my quilts now will go to my sons. So they're going to come into quite a, I guess, a good stash of quilts, because not only are they getting them from me, They'll be getting the ones that belong to their great-great-grandmother. They're going to be getting some that belong to their grandmother. So 
I make them and I want those quilts to be handed down to my sons. And I don't mean to sound selfish by saying I'm doing them for me, but that is truly what feeds me. So yeah, when I start a quilt, this is how I function. This is what keeps me breathing. And it's not like you're putting 50 of them out a year. No, I wish I could. (laughs) (laughs) Can you describe what you're working on right now? Yes, I'm actually starting on a new show quilt. I have not started a new one for three years. Life just got away from me. Of course, I told you I've got a granddaughter. She was born February of 2022. Her birthday is actually one day before mine. She was my birthday present. And so she tied up a lot of my time. I just had to take a break. I keep her two days a week, and I would not trade that for anything in the world. She is so much fun. But she has taken a lot of time, and then I spent probably the last two years packaging these patterns that I have launched on my Etsy page. And so I have not had time. I've just not had time to do a quilt for me recently, but I have started another one. It's a huge applique block. It's a vase of flowers, and there are 685 pieces in it. (laughs) And the reason I know this is because I had to number them all. I'm actually going to turn it into a pattern to sell. And I'm actually teaching this block at the Academy this February. So the reason that I'm having to get started on this is because if I'm teaching a block at the Academy, I have to get to a certain stage in this block in order to demo certain parts that the students will need to know how to do because they're obviously not going to get this block done in the three days that I have with them. So I have to get to certain parts in order for them to be able to see how to do that certain section of the block. So, yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. I'm also getting ready to head back to Ohio and teaching a class up there. That one is going to be a stained glass technique. Those have been popular patterns that I have sold, and they've been pretty popular as far as me teaching that technique in a class. So those are the two current things that I'm working on right now. And I just want to add in here that we are getting to record in October So I don't want people to think that you're just starting on that process and plan to deliver it next month. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the hindrances of being a hand quilter and a needle turn applicator. It just takes us a whole lot more time to turn out things. Oh, the joy of when it's finished. You can tell all the hard work that goes into it. Yeah. With everyone that I get done, my husband can tell you, We usually have a celebration. We go out to dinner that night and we celebrate, hey, here's another quilt finished. But I don't do it until everything is on it. You know, the binding has to be done. The label has to be sewn on the back. It's completely finished. Oh, wow. How many of us get to celebrate each quilt like that? Wow. Yeah, it is a big celebration because mine has got so much more time in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us about your sewing space. My sewing space is the only reason we have not sold this house and moved (laughs) so far. It's the biggest room in the house. Now, when we first bought this house, I had the smallest room in the house. What it is, is my quilt room used to be a garage. And the people that bought the house and lived here before we did turned it into a den. It's got a fireplace in it and, you know, it's really nice space, but We had it at that point as our bedroom because we have three other rooms on the other end of the house, but that left us with the smallest one on that end. 
So I told my husband when we first moved in, I said, I'll take the small room. Then when my oldest son left to be a Marine, I said, Mama's moving our bedroom into his room, and I'm laying claim (laughs) to the biggest room in the house. And it is, it's a good space. We had to add a closet because I've got shelves in there where I stack all of my show quilts. I do some things by machine, so I've got some of my sewing machines in there. But my husband always tells people that it's a good thing that there's not a kitchen and a bathroom in here because if there was, I would never leave this room. Because <laughs> I love it. I stay in here all the time. It's my favorite room in the house. How's the lighting in that room? My lighting is incredible, but that's because my daddy, who knows how to do everything and fix everything, He came in here and put, I've got two huge fluorescent lights, and they've got the LED lighting in them. They're two big circular lights that are up over my tables in here. And yeah, the lighting's great. And plus, when I turned it into my quilt room, it's got four windows, and I use white sheer curtains. So I've got excellent light in here. Nice. Share a quilting tip. I guess my biggest tip would be do what I do and constantly keep learning. It would be probably the only big piece of advice. Like I told you, with every quilt that I do, I'm trying to learn something new and incorporate it into that quilt. When I teach my classes, I am a teacher that says, you've got to find what works for you. I do not believe in the quilting police. If they come in and they're taking an applique class from me, you don't have to use applique needles. Most of the time, I'm not using applique needles. I can't thread them because (laughs) the eye is too small. I tell people all the time, your quilting stitch is unique to you. Don't try to do it the way you see everybody else doing it. You'll figure it out, and that's your stitch. I don't believe in quilting police. (laughs) (laughs) So share with us how exciting was it to win those amazing ribbons at the quilt shows? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, my first ones that were local, of course, were just building my confidence to eventually enter the world of national show competition. But (laughs) Bonnie Browning could tell you this story. I took my first blue AQS ribbon in Chattanooga in 2015, and I actually got to go to the show. My daddy and I took the trip together, and I came around the corner, and there is my quilt with this blue. AQS ribbon hanging on it. And I just went to pieces. I just stood there and sobbed. It was just fulfilling a dream. I remember when I got the phone call, at that time, AQS used to actually call people the night before. And they would call each individual winner and they would let you know what you won. They don't do that anymore because it probably just got to where it just took up too much of their time. Andrea Ray was the person who worked for AQS at that time. And I remember when she called me and she told me that I took a blue ribbon in Chattanooga and I told her later, you just don't understand. I said, sometimes when you're making that phone call, you're changing somebody's life, literally. For me, it was, I fulfilled a dream that I never believed I'd be able to do. Sometimes I will still look. I mean, at this point, I have probably got between 60 and 80 ribbons hanging here in my quilt room. And sometimes it's still not real to me. I'm just this small town girl in little bitty Medivue, Virginia. And how did I ever get here? Sometimes it still astonishes me. It really does. That had to be such an amazing time. 
It was. People laugh at me, too, because I said after you win your first AQS Blue Ribbon, then you're under the pressure of not wanting to be a one-hit wonder. (laughs) So it's like, well, I can't just stop there, and I have to go on and do another one and another one and another one, you know, but I love it. I love it. And people have asked me before. They said, you know, even if you weren't able to do competition quilting, somebody asked me this in one of my classes in Des Moines, actually. She said, well, do you do it just for the competition? And I said, well, yes and no. And the reason I say that is, yeah, I'm glad that God gave me a gift that would help me earn some extra money to supplement our household and my children and my husband. I said, that's great. But she was asking specifically, she said, even if you weren't putting these quilts into competition, would you still be putting this much detail in them? And my answer is yes. I had an art teacher that used to laugh at me because she said everything that I ever did had to be so over the top. I remember the day I was sitting in her class and she said, Audrey, can you just sketch out a church for me? Well, she comes back 30 minutes later and I'm still working on it. And she said, Audrey, she said, I just wanted a little simple country church, not the cathedral in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just how I'm geared. You know, if I have the ability to put my whole heart into something, it's going in there. So whether I was doing competition quilts or not, yes, I would still have a quilt with 1,400 one-inch leaves on it. (laughs) (laughs) And you've had at least one of your quilts in a major magazine. Yes, my first show quilt took best hand quilting in Syracuse, New York. And I think that was also 2015. And because it took one of the top prizes, it was featured in one of the AQS magazines and had its own page and a little write-up on it. How did it feel to open up a magazine and see your quilt? Well, (laughs) it was kind of unreal at the time because, believe it or not, the first time I saw it, I was taking my first quilt class. I had decided I wanted to do one of the Judy Niemeyer workshops. And so I went up the road to Whistle, Virginia. They hold the retreats up there. I had never taken a quilt class, Paula. We live in this rural area. And so I had gone to Whistle and had signed up to take this three-day class. And one of the girls that was in the class there came over with her AQS magazine as she opened it up. And she says, isn't this you? (laughs) And I thought, holy cow, you know, and I remember Judy Niemeyer coming and looking and it was just kind of unreal in the moment. Not only did I see it, but I was surrounded by all of these other people going, hey, wow, look at that. That was a once in a lifetime. Let's just say the stars had to align in order for that to happen for me to be there in that class and everybody see that at that time. That's so interesting because your designs remind me a bit of her quilts. I've done one. It's not something that I want to do. The reason that I took that class, Paula, was because I was just beginning to teach myself. Not only did I want to have the experience of taking a class, I was surrounded by quilters all the time saying, oh, you need to go. It's so much fun to go do one of these three-day retreats. And so curiosity had me there. But then, too, I wanted to see how Judy's head worked. How do you organize a big classroom full of people and keep them working at their own pace and make sure people aren't sitting there twiddling their thumbs? So I had another motive for taking that class. Again, we may have covered this already, but describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby and it became a business for you. Several different factors affected that. 
one of the first was a course where I told you I ended up having to become a stay-at-home mom, not out of choice, but I got sick with ulcerative colitis. And so that was when I first started stealing more and more things on commission. And I sold things on commission probably for, oh gosh, I'd say 10 to 12 years. That was what I did. Did very well at it, but still not making much money. And then after I started doing the sew quilts, of course, I was making a little more income doing that. People think you make a lot of money off of that. No, not if you're a hand quilter because it takes us so long to get a quilt turned out. It's good money here and there, but you can't make a living off of it. The biggest thing that pushed me into starting a pattern company was actually when I was invited to begin teaching at the Academy of Applique. Here's another good story for you. You got to hear this story. The, The whole reason that I got on at the Academy was because a lady on Facebook posted a picture of some brown fabric. And she said, oh, I'm in a panic. I've run short on this. Does anybody out there have some of this fabric? And I thought, yeah, I've got that. And I went and looked, and I had a whole half yard of this William Morris brown fabric that she needed. And so I sent her a message back, and I said, give me your address, and I'll ship it to you. She said, well, let me pay you. I said, no. I said, it'll sit in my cabinet and rot before it gets used. Just take it and use it. So she got the fabric, and then she messaged me back like two or three days later. She says, thanks. I got the fabric. And she says, oh, my gosh. She said, I didn't know who I was talking to. (laughs) She said, I've seen your quilt at shows. And she said, I had no idea this is who you were. And she said, how would you like to come and teach at the Academy of Applique? Her name was Barbara Carper. She has just become the dearest friend. And she knew Barbara Blanton, who was over the Academy. And when she asked me, Barbara Blanton called me. She said, do you want to come and teach? And of course, I'm hanging on to the edge of my chair because I'm thinking, what an awesome opportunity. Oh my gosh, you know, I just can't believe I'm being asked. So what happened when I started teaching at the academy was I do dual classes there. And by dual classes, what I mean is I've usually got one half of the classroom doing one block and the other half of the classroom doing another block. And that suits me just fine because I like to stay busy And it's a benefit, actually, for my students because they'll hear something on this side that may benefit them in something that they're doing in the future. And the other side will be hearing something that the other side is doing. You get what I'm saying. They're picking up little tips from each other. But what I had to do was I had to get patterns packaged up the first year that I taught there. So I had to do the description and the supply list and write out a set of instructions. I had four of them ready, and I thought, well, that wasn't too bad. Maybe I should do some more. So the next year, I did some more, and I ended up having eight. There again, the whole time I was doing this, people had been saying, why don't you start publishing some of your patterns? Because now designing, we've not even talked about this, Paula, but designing is just my thing. I could literally sit down and do a 365 day calendar for you with a design every day of the week. I could turn one a day out. I love doing that. But anyway, when I started packaging those patterns up, that's what kind of pushed me forward into thinking maybe I should just turn this into a small business on the side and see if I can't make some money selling my patterns. So that's how all that got started was me getting on at the academy. You were already teaching when you decided to make it a business. Yeah, I've got 24 patterns now. Well, actually, online, I've only got 20 of them listed because the other four that are ready, 
are the ones that I'll be doing for the Academy in February. I consider those to belong to the Academy first. (laughs) I want them to be a special new release for the Academy first, and then I'll put them with the others and start selling them. Well, that's only fair. Yeah. What is the name of your business? And tell how you came up (laughs) with that name. That's another funny story. My boys and my husband used to call my quilt room the sanctuary. And it is. It truly is. Of course, we say that in a laughing way. But it's really not funny at all. This is my room where I come to decompress. This is my joyful room. And so that's where the name in the sanctuary came from because everything I design comes out of the sanctuary. I've also got on my logo two butterflies. And the two butterflies are there because all of my show quilts have two butterflies appliqued in the lower left-hand corner. And it's kind of my special signature, but they represent my nanny and my great-grandmother. They go on every quilt that I do. And so people have come to kind of know me when they see a quilt with the two butterflies down there. Even if they don't know that it's my quilt, they know it's my quilt. (laughs) (laughs) And so my logo for my business is in the sanctuary with the two little butterflies. That's so wonderful that you can keep that connection with your grandmother and great-grandmother. Oh, I love them so much and miss them terribly. I lost my nanny in 2015. That was so hard because she was more like a mama to me than a grandmother. I want to always acknowledge who helped me along the way. Where did you say you started teaching? When I started, I just started at local quilt shops. My local quilt shop would do a class here and there. And then eventually I started branching out. We had some local guilds that wanted me to come and teach. and then. From there, I had some guilds that maybe were a little farther away. It might take me two or three hours to get to. I taught one time in West Virginia. I've done some guilds down in Tennessee. I've gone to teach for the Asheville Quilt Guild down in Asheville, North Carolina. In fact, I'm going back there in April. So it just kind of started around my local area and just kind of spread out slowly. (laughs) Of course, I just got back from Des Moines. That's the furthest I've gone yet. (laughs) Was it hard to open an Etsy shop? No, it really wasn't. But I went about this backwards. Everybody that I have told about the process of starting my business, they said most people open the business and have only like two or three things to put in it and then start making more things from there. I had all these patterns done. I had all the hard work done. (laughs) And then I just had to officially open it. As a shop on Etsy, but no, Etsy's easy to use. I did this last February, so it's not been open that long, but it seemed to me like maybe when I got done, I said, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be <laughs> because I'm usually pretty technology challenged. And, you know, it's not a booming business right now. I have not put a lot of advertising into it just because I've been so busy with other things. Now, it's not like I'm making a killing at it and I have no desire to be the next Judy Niemeyer, but I would just like to be able to bring in some extra income. And my husband is an over-the-road truck driver, and he's been doing that for 17 years now. And actually, my ultimate goal with this business is maybe to start making enough income that I can get him off the road. That would be my ultimate goal. Yeah. Now, are your patterns available in local quilt shops? No, not right now, but I predict they probably will be. When you are a hand worker and you do needle turn applique and all hand quilting, 
there's not the demand out there for that like there is with everything done by machine. And I'm used to that. It's not like I'm hurt or insulted by it. It's just the way it is. With my patterns, there again, I don't know that quilt shops would have that much interest in it. We might try it, but there again, I don't know that there's that much interest in needle turn applique. Now, a lot of my patterns can be done with other methods. It doesn't have to be needle turn. It can be done by machine. It can be done by prepared edge. So that might be a plus for me there. But my husband and I actually stopped at a quilt shop in Dayton, Virginia. And it's about midway through Virginia. We were actually on our way, I think, to the AQS show at Virginia Beach. And we had stopped in because it's claimed to fame is that it's the biggest quilt shop in Virginia. So we stopped. And when the lady recognized who I was, she says, well, if you ever want to do patterns, if you'd like to do a block of the month or something like that, she said, let us know. And that may be something I do pursue. Right now, everything that I am designing is primarily applique. That's my greatest love of all is applique. But I may at some point may start doing some original piece blocks, maybe. I don't know. The hardest thing that I'm finding right now is I'm trying to figure out what people want. When I first started doing needle turn applique, you've seen my quilts, okay? You know that, and I've told you before that I don't do anything half-heartedly, like when I told you the story about the two churches. I mean, when I do something, I do it. My first Mariner's Compass was done with templates and it was a 32 pointer. <laughs> so I don't bite things off and take the timid way in. I usually dive in wholeheartedly. And when I first started Needle Turn Applique, the only person that had patterns out on the market that appealed to me was a lady named Dinah Jeffries. And she had a company called Garden City Gateworks, and she did a lot of folded cut work. I forgot to mention, but yeah, folded cut work is probably one of my specialties. But I do pretty intricate designs, and I don't know that a lot of people out there are interested in doing something as detailed as I do. So I'm still trying to figure that out. When I take my patterns to the academy, I do very, very well selling them in person. In fact, I do better when I take them there than anywhere. Yeah, finding where your audience is and your following yeah. is, yeah. I'm still trying to figure all that out, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, jumping back just a little bit, I'm assuming you didn't sell patterns before you opened your Etsy shop. No, I did not. I had never sold them before until I decided to do this. So do you remember that first time Etsy told you a pattern had been sold? Oh, I don't just remember them telling me. If you've got the app on your phone, it will make a cha-ching noise. And I remember I was sitting there and I heard it and I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I sold one. Audra, is there anything else about your business you wanted to share? I talked to Bonnie Browning about this. And while I've got the opportunity, I just want to spill my guts here, if that's okay. I'm a little concerned. We're not seeing as many hand quilting classes anymore. I don't know if you're familiar with Elsie Campbell. Elsie Campbell was a phenomenal hand quilter, and she died January before last. She was an absolute mentor to me. I loved her so much. had never met her in person, but she used to teach hand quilting. She would go all over the country teaching, and she was phenomenal at it. I'm also good friends with Linda Roy, who is also another phenomenal hand quilter. By the way, for those listening, if you wanted to know who my all-time 
favorite quilter, who my absolute shero instead of hero, I call her my shero, it would be Linda Roy. Linda Roy, to me, is the most phenomenal quilter on the planet. She used to teach hand quilting. She's no longer teaching. I have a friend named Jackie Perry, who is also another award-winning hand quilter. She's no longer teaching hand quilting. So when AQS called me and asked me about teaching in Des Moines, one of the things that I asked her was, I said, I would love to teach some hand quilting classes. And I said, not even necessarily just for the income part of it, but hand quilting is so dear to me. It's an art form. And I don't want it getting lost in this modern day world of everything being computerized and done very quickly. And I mean it, it, this is something very precious to me. And so when I mentioned to Bonnie about teaching the hand quilting, she said, well, the truth is we just can't get those classes filled. And that just hurt. It just hit my heart so hard. And so I guess if I could advertise anything about me or my business on your podcast, it's that I am a hand quilter. and For me, teaching needle turn applique and teaching hand quilting is not just about making money. It's not just about me teaching it and bringing in an income. It's because I don't want to lose this art form, especially the hand quilting. So if there are guilds out there that have any interest at all, (laughs) please contact me because right now I don't know who else is doing it. I think Bonnie told me that Deirdre McElroy was the name that she mentioned that is one of the national well-known names. I think she is still teaching it. But other than that, I just don't know. But I don't want to see that die. Yeah. I don't. I interviewed Jess Cottrell. She's a hand quilter, and she's a young hand quilter. Yay. That's my biggest thing now is I would like to start promoting myself as somebody who is really pushing for hand quilting to have a revival. I would love to see that take place. Locally here, there is a hand quilting group. It was fun to walk in there and they had all these frames set up and they broke for a meal and then they went back and they were all quilting on these quilts together. See, that is just my idea of heaven. Audra, share where we can find your business. It may be a little hard to find, and that's because you have to earn your rank (laughs) on Etsy. Etsy makes money off of its sellers as well as its sellers making money with Etsy's help. And what that means is until you start getting so many clicks on your business site or you sell so many patterns, you're going to be down the rung of the ladder for a while. So when I first got the shop open, people could not find me because if you just put in Audra Rasnick or in the sanctuary, it wouldn't pull me up. Now, when I was in Des Moines, as of two weeks ago, I had two students in there that were able to just punch in my name or in the sanctuary, and they were able to find me. So hopefully, that's where they can find me. Other than that, I don't have a website yet. I am on Facebook. If they needed information about my shop, they could always friend me on Facebook, and that's just under my name, Audra Rasnick, and they'll know it's me because the quilt's on the background. (laughs) But right now, that's the best way that I can tell people to find my shop is just to look on Etsy with my name and the business name. Okay, and the link to your Etsy shop will be on your episode page so we can easily find you there. And if you do happen to decide to make a website, please let us know and I'll add that to your episode page whenever that does come out. 
I will do it. And I've also got that link. I forgot it is on my Facebook page, too. Okay, great. Audra, this was so wonderful. I had such a great time visiting with you and hearing your story. Thanks for being on A Quilter's Life. I'm truly honored that you wanted to take the time to hear my story. I appreciate it so much, and I hope at some point that I get to talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.